Hi friends, welcome to the Psyche Mental Wellbeing Podcast with me, your host, Hannah. On the show, I'm joined each episode by an amazing guest to have an honest conversation, share our real life experiences and tackle stigma and misconceptions around mental health along the way. We believe that everyone would benefit from focusing a little more on their mental well-being, and we're here to support you to do just that. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello, friends, and welcome back. Hope you have had a good week. Uh, if you celebrated Christmas, that it was uh, that it was good. That you, yeah, that you enjoyed it. That it was full of happiness, love relaxation whatever um you wished for and that you in you know enjoyed and um mine was good I presume I don't know I'm <laughs> recording this beforehand but at the moment it seems like it's gonna be nice quiet and lovely so fingers crossed uh, it was that thank you to Joe again who joined us last week to dive into happiness I really loved our conversation and hope you enjoyed it as much as I did um, and today we're sort of we're changing up a bit, we're sort of changing tact and we are talking about adolescence, um, adolescent mental health, we're talking about substance use in adolescence and very much uh, from a sort of clinical perspective with Richard who is our guest. Uh, Richard's approach and his method and you know assessments and treatments is that kind of clinical perspective and people obviously have different ways of looking at things. Um, and I, I don't know, I'm somewhere in the middle, a bit, a bit clinical, a bit holistic, because I kind of do a bit of all of that in how I work. So I just wanted to sort of uh, acknowledge that. I think this is a topic um, generally that we have touched on before, but not so much focused on adolescents. And obviously I work a lot with, with teens and adolescents. So I'm really um, pleased that we're having this conversation and that we're sort of giving it some some airtime. Um, so if it is something as a parent that you are concerned about, or someone who has a young person in their life, um, then I really hope that you find the information and the discussion in this episode useful um, and, and supportive. So that's it. I'm not going to waffle anymore at the beginning. Uh, so let's dive in to this conversation with Richard and I will be back super quickly at the end. Hi everyone, and I'm really happy to welcome today's guest, Richard, to the podcast. So Richard, welcome, and if you could introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you. Yes, thank you so much, Hannah, for inviting me to the program to talk about this issue of adolescent uh, substance use. Um, I have a long history of being involved in mental health and addictions work, uh, over two decades of experience. I started in this field working in a crisis center where uh, we would take people in from the emergency room at hospitals. Uh, they had a mental health issue, but they also, had a, a number of them had a substance abuse issue. So I went back to school and, and, and learned more about uh, addictions and then accepted a position at Menninger Clinic in Houston, Texas, which is a large psychiatric hospital. I worked there for over a decade treating both adolescents and adults diagnosed with mental health and uh, substance use disorders. And I retired from there a little over a year ago and I put together this book that I wanted to write for parents and, and anyone interested in adolescent substance abuse because so many times I would sit across from a parent and I would go through their child's history of using substances, which substances they were using, how much they were using, how often and, and how long. And when I got done and gave them the diagnosis of a substance use disorder, they would look at me and they would say, uh, 
something like, I had no idea this was going on. Or if they did suspect their child was using a substance, they would say something like, well, I sort of suspected something was going on, but I didn't know it was this bad. So I wanted to put this short book together. It runs about 100 and some pages that would give information to parents, not in a, non, not in a technical scientific way, but in a user-friendly, reader-friendly version that would help parents get the basics, know how drugs work in the child's brain, know a little bit about what drugs are out there so they're familiar with with them, know what assessments are important uh, to, to get a diagnosis, um, to know what warning signs to look for, because so many parents don't know the warning signs to look for. Nobody ever told them. And then if treatments needed, what, what type of treatments are available? So I put all this together in a short little book that I'm hoping will be helpful to parents and, and, and help them feel better prepared, more knowledgeable about this subject and less fearful about it. Yeah, amazing. And I, I think that that kind of fear probably is a, a big uh, factor of not knowing how to, what to be looking for and how to, to talk about these things. And yes. we'll absolutely uh, get onto all of that so that any parents listening can take away some of that knowledge today. Um, before we dive in, um, you mentioned when you were talking about substance use disorder, substance abuse, and I know in the UK, we tend to talk about substance misuse and um, you know, that there's there's lots of different language kind of floating around and that, that sometimes there are there are terms that maybe have got negative connotations. So I wonder if you could give us a little overview of what uh, substance use disorder is and, you know, just any kind of thoughts around the language that we use to talk about. This. Yeah, a substance use disorder is the new diagnosis uh, that we now give when it's applicable for an adult or an adolescent. Uh, we used to call it dependency and abuse. We, we got away from that. And we now refer to it as a substance use disorder, recognizing that it's a disorder like any other medical disorder, like diabetes or, or hypertension. Uh, it, it's a disorder that uh, needs treatment. Um, and it can be diagnosed on a continuum that runs from mild to moderate to severe. And depending on the consequences and how it's affecting a person's life, that determines whether it's in the mild, moderate, or severe category. Obviously, the more disruptive the use is in a person's life, the more negative consequences it's producing, then the person is more likely to be in a moderate or a severe category. But it does recognize that substance use can run from somebody who is using it very infrequently, in which case they would be in a mild category to somebody that might be using it multiple times a day and it's really disrupting their life, in which case they might be in the severe category. Thank you for that. Just it's a term that, that some people might not have heard. Um, I, we always like to kind of give definitions so we know we're all sort of on the, on the same page when we're yes. kind of talking about this. Well, I tell parents that in the book that their child will not be diagnosed as an addict because that's a very negative stigmatizing term. If it's appropriate, they would be diagnosed with a substance use disorder. And what kind of, um, I don't know if this is, is something you've seen with, um, you know, changes in the, in the language we use, but when we have um, a term like addict that can be quite stigmatizing, whether yeah. that has an additional impact on the person who's received that diagnosis. It does. It, it has a tremendous negative impact, uh, so, so much so that it, it keeps a lot of people away from seeking treatment or, or even getting, you know, medical advice because that, that stigma, that negative connotation of, of, of addict 
really has some serious consequences in that it drives so many people away from getting the medical attention that they need. And it's one of the reasons why during this pandemic with the virus that's out there that we're seeing, you know, higher higher rates of, 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 the, of the infection among adolescents because they have neglected, uh, because of this stigma, getting the medical care that they've needed over the years. And, and also, this, this virus affects the respiratory system. And in many cases, adults who are addicted to a substance have a compromised respiratory system. So this stigma that goes with, with substance use or with addiction has really uh, had some serious consequences for people, unfortunately, and it's kept them, you know, from staying away from getting the medical help that they need many times. I imagine, you know, that there's a lot of other impacts that the the pandemic has had on mental health and substance yes. use uh, as well. And, and as we're talking about the pandemic, let's um, dive into that a little bit. What kind of impact has it had it, it's had a tremendous impact. And I think we're just beginning to scratch the surface of how this pandemic has affected the mental health of adolescents and adults. Uh, I think now that we're starting to hopefully come away from it, we're just now starting to see some of the impact that it's had. You know, uh, and it's affected children and it's affected of adults. It's pulled them away from, from school. It's pulled them away from their, their friends, from their sports activities, from their social interactions. And it's affected families too that uh, that have lived in fear of, of this virus and many families have have uh, changed their entire work schedule their environment has changed here in the United States the Center for Disease Control has noted that since the pandemic began there's been a significant increase in the number of emergency room visits by grade school children uh, and there's been also a large increase in, in, in the number of teenagers who have urgently been need, in need of mental health care. Uh, it's affected uh, people's uh, teenagers sleep pattern. It's affected their eating habits. It's affected their school performance. It's caused them to have excessive worry and anxiety and irritability and sometimes aggression. Uh, and it's pulled them away from their social activities. So there's no question that this pandemic has affected the mental health of adolescents and, and adults. And I think as we come out of the pandemic, we're going to realize just just how serious this has been on the mental health of so many people. And with, you know, and I absolutely from what I know, what I've seen about that, that impact, I think in the UK, it's, um, it's similar and we're, we're, you know, only, well, we're not fully out of, <laughs> out of things yet to see that, that real impact. But when we come back to, to substance use, what's the, the relationship between mental health issues and substance use? And many times there's a direct connection. Uh, a lot of the teenagers that I worked with at Menninger Clinic in Houston, Texas, were using a substance uh, like marijuana or, or alcohol to medicate an underlying mental health issue. Uh, an example would be a lot of the kids that I worked with were smoking marijuana and they would smoke it multiple times a day. And when I asked them to help me understand why they were smoking so much marijuana, the number one answer that came back was it helps me with my anxiety. So in, in, in some cases, not in all cases, but in some cases, when we, when we get below the surface, we dig below the surface, uh, we find that uh, an individual, a teenager is using a substance to medicate an under 
underlying psychological issue or an emotional issue. It might be anxiety, like the kids that a lot of the kids I worked with. It could be depression. It could be uh, suicidal thinking. It, it might be some type of trauma, maybe being bullied at school, um, uh, or it could be uh, an emerging personality disorder. It, it could be any of the psychological issues. And that's why I recommend to parents that one of the assessments you need to get for your child is a psychological or a neuropsychological assessment to either rule in or rule out whether or not there's an underlying issue that might be causing your child to use a substance. It's very important that you that you take a look at that to see if that's a possibility. Because if it is, you, you need to treat not just the substance use, you need to treat the underlying issue. So if a child is using marijuana to medicate or, 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 or help them with their anxiety, yes, you need to treat the marijuana use, but you also need to, to, to treat the, the anxiety use too. Thank you for sharing that. And you, you mentioned marijuana and, and alcohol. Are there other substances that are commonly being used by adolescents at the moment? Does it kind of vary? Is there, you know, s- certain um, substances that sometimes are, I don't know, in fashion, if that if that's the right phrase? Yeah. Uh, what do you see? Well, uh, teenagers still gravitate towards alcohol and marijuana. Uh, those are the two primary substances. And that's been true for a long, long period of time. That's not new. Alcohol and marijuana are the two popular substances that teens are attracted to. There is some use of the harder core drugs like LSD, uh, cocaine, uh, some of the opiates, some of the prescription drugs like Ritalin and Adderall. But those tend to be less than 5% of high school seniors. Uh, so marijuana and alcohol still are the primary substances. But what we have noticed uh, uh, in the United States, for example, is that in the last three years, there's been a a tremendous increase, a significant increase in what's called vaping, which is where they will take a substance like marijuana or nicotine and use an instrument like a vaping pen um, or a USB drive, looks like a USB drive, but they, they uh, they turn the nicotine and the marijuana into a vapor that's inhaled. And in the last three years, uh, there has been a tremendous increase, a large percentage increase in the number of high school seniors, for example, that are vaping nicotine and vaping marijuana. It's been a it's been a really big increase. So that's a little concerning that we're seeing, you know, kids turning to vaping substances more and more. And I wonder, I know it's, you know, in the UK, obviously, alcohol is legal to drink at 18. Um, mm-hmm. And I know that some states, are, I'm not sure uh, what uh, Texas's stance on this is that marijuana is now legal in some states in the U.S. And I wonder if that's having an impact. Well, uh, you're you're correct. More and more states in the United States are legalizing marijuana use for adults, not for adolescents, but for adults. And I think that gives kids the perception that it's it's not that harmful. Uh, but what's missing in, in in that equation is the development of the brain. Adolescent brains are in the process of developing and maturing, forming those those very important connections in the brain that the child will need later in life for for reasoning and making decisions uh, and carrying on responsibilities of life. That brain doesn't get fully developed until around age 24 or 25. So it's important to, to, 
to know, I think, that, that the adolescent brain is in the process of maturing and developing and introducing a substance like marijuana into a developing brain runs the risk of doing some real damage. So, you know, even though the perception might be that it's okay because it's legal, it is not okay for an adolescent because their brain is much more vulnerable than the adult brain. I imagine the same would be true for alcohol as well. Yes, it would be true for any substance because the brain is in the process of developing. So whatever substance a person is taking, whether it's a drug or it's alcohol, that all affects the brain and the brain development. I don't know if you've seen the uh, the NASA spiderweb experiments. I don't know if you've seen the pictures uh, from those where NASA, for some reason, I don't know why, gave spiders a whole range of substances to see the impact on their webs. And I've shown that to students because caffeine has such an impact on the web in some ways more extreme than some of the other substances that we might expect. Um, Because that's, I I don't know if it's the same there, with um, high energy drinks is a kind of growing thing here with younger adolescents. Yes, yes. Um, I hadn't seen that, that that experiment that you talked about. But, you know, these stimulants uh, like caffeine and some of these energy drinks uh, that, that, that teenagers will use in, in, in high volumes. Um, yeah, they can have a that can have an effect on their developing brain, too, because they're not you know, they're not doing it in moderation. They're taking high concentrations of caffeine. Some of these energy drinks are loaded with caffeine um, and, and sometimes they're using it in addition to excessively working out too. So yeah, that's something that I think people and parents need to need to be careful with is how much caffeine their child is using, how much of these energy drinks they're drinking, because that can become a, a problem as well. Yeah, and I guess that's a good place to, um, to talk about some of the signs that parents can look for if they're they're maybe concerned about their their child's maybe mental health generally but also with uh, substance use and I wonder if you could share some thoughts with us. Yeah I think it's very important that parents be aware of the warning signs uh, because many times they're not and then they're caught off guard when they find out that their child is using a substance. Well nobody ever told them what to look for nobody ever told them the warning signs Um, and then they feel guilty. Well how did I miss the warning signs? What did I do wrong? Am I a good parent? Am I a bad parent? Well, no, nobody ever told you what to look for. Um, So in my book, I have warning signs for a child that might be using alcohol. I have warning signs for a child that might be using marijuana. I've included warning signs for a child that might be developing an eating disorder or who might be self-injuring themselves because sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes a child will be developing uh, an eating disorder or will be self-injuring themselves in addition to using using a substance. So I wanted to put those warning signs out there. As a general rule, what I recommend to parents is pay attention to the changes that you see in your child. You know your child better than anyone, I think. So pay attention to the changes. Don't assume that the changes you're seeing are just normal adolescent acting out. They may very well be, but they could also be an indicator that there's something else going on underneath the surface. So pay attention to the changes that you see. For example, you may have a child whose grades were very good and now they're starting to decline. You might have a child that uh, enjoyed playing sports and now no longer wants to participate in sports. You may have a child that was very 
very social and outgoing, very talkative, now becomes very secretive and quiet and isolating. Uh, you may have a child who uh, very openly told you who their friends were. You knew who their friends were. You might have even known who their parents of their friends were. Now becomes very secretive about their friends. So these are some examples of, of changes to be aware of. If these changes last like a day or two or they're very infrequent, that's probably not something to be too concerned about. But if these changes go on over a period of time and then you start to see more and more of these changes, then I think you should be concerned and get some assessments done to find out what's going on. Thank you for, for sharing the, those uh, warning signs. So if a parent has, they've, they've noticed the warning signs, you mentioned assessments, but I wonder if there's also any advice you have on how to talk to uh, a child, talk to a young person about concerns. Yeah, that's a very good question because that's usually the first thing I recommend. Have a conversation with your child. Um, and, and by having a conversation, I don't mean, uh, you know, accusing the child of using a substance or threatening the child or saying, you know, I think you've been using marijuana and you better not use marijuana. And if you do, this is what's going to happen. No, that's not the conversation that you want to have. The conversation that you want to have comes from a, a, an inquiring type of position, a curiosity position. I'm seeing these behaviors in you, and I'm curious as to why I'm seeing those behaviors. Can you help me understand why I'm seeing those behaviors? So it changes the discussion uh, so that you are approaching the discussion from uh, an inquiring point of view. I'm curious about what I'm seeing. Can you help me understand it? Now, that's a conversation that's likely to go one of two ways. It's either going to blow up and the child's going to become argumentative and defensive. Or you might actually learn some things about the child. But, but regardless of how that decision goes, that, that, that conversation goes, you need to move to the next step, which is to get an assessment done, a professional series of assessments done that I have in my book. The other thing that I would say, Hannah, is that we're very good at listening to people's words when they talk. So when we're talking to our child, uh, we're, we're really good at listening to the words, but we're not so good sometimes at listening to the feelings behind the words. And that's a skill every parent can practice and every parent can learn. And I would encourage parents to do that. Practice listening in a way that you're not just hearing your child's words, you're hearing their feelings. Because when you can do that, your child will begin to feel that they're really being understood, that you're not just listening to the words, you're listening to the feelings. Now, that doesn't come naturally to most of us. We have to practice at it. But every parent can learn that skill and practice it. And it, it will pay dividends down the road. Do you have any advice on how to learn that skill or you know how to get started trying to do that? I, I think... Um, um, I have a parent workbook that accompanies my book, and there are some exercises in there that parents can use to, to learn that skill. Uh, it comes from, you know, practice and from uh, really focusing on, uh, on listening to your child's feelings and, and reflecting back. A lot of this communication is reflecting back. I'm hearing this, and this is what I understand. I'm hearing you say blah, blah, blah. 
uh, and, and this is what I think you're saying. Um, you seem to be feeling this way. Those kinds of statements so that you're not just listening to words and saying, yeah, okay, yeah, okay, I got it. No, you're digging a little bit deeper and you're reflecting back to the child the emotions that you're sensing. Uh, you know, so I hear you say that you don't like such and such. It seems to me that you have some strong feelings about that. Anything that you can do to get the child to move away from just talking about something to getting them to explaining how they're feeling about that something. And, and that's, that's probably not going to come around right away. It's going to take some, some time, some practice. You're going to get frustrated with it. But the more you stay with it, the more likely you're going to see results. It's not that you want to become perfect at it. It's just that you want to be able to, to, to work at it and become better. I think through that reflection, you know, even if you say, well, I'm hearing this and this is kind of how I'm interpreting it. Mm -hmm. Actually, even if you haven't quite interpreted right, you're offering them something that they can say, oh, no, actually, it's not that. Yeah, that's a that's a great point, because you may not be right in what you're hearing. And that gives the child the opportunity to come back and say, no, 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 that's not quite the way I was feeling. So, yeah, it's a give and take. Uh, you, you won't always get it right the first time, but you'll give the child the opportunity to come back and give you more information and you'll create that dialogue. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, Richard, before I ask you my set questions, I wonder if you have a final thought on adolescent mental health, adolescent substance use that you'd like to share with us? I guess I would say that um, I would encourage every parent uh, to learn about these warning signs, uh, to, to, to not approach this issue uh, with fear, even though I know it's a very scary topic for many parents. Don't become paranoid about this, but, but learn as much as you can about it so that you feel better prepared and perhaps less afraid and less paranoid. Uh, and that if you are confronted with this issue, you know in advance how you're going to deal with it and begin to develop even at a very young age, whether your child is six or seven or 16 or 17 or 18, work on these communication skills because that will set the foundation uh, for you to have the kind of relationship with your child where they can trust you and open up to you. Yeah, thank you so much. I think that's so important having that communication that that children yeah. feel that they, if they have a concern, particularly a mental health concern, which can be so difficult to talk about, that they feel their parent is likely to, to be supportive and open to, to kind of hearing yes. their concerns. Exactly. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Richard, for everything you shared. And as I said, I've got some set questions I ask everyone, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on these. Okay. So, yeah. So the first one is what brings you joy in your life? What brings me joy in my life is my family, uh, my wife, uh, um, I, I enjoy traveling when I can, haven't been able to do much of that because of this pandemic, but I am looking forward to, as we come out of it, being able to, uh, to travel and, and go to new places. Uh, spending time with my son, who is now older, he's a He's, he's, he's in his, he's, he's a young man now. Um, it's pretty much the simple things. I find the most, most joy and, and pleasure in the simple things of life. Uh, now that I'm retired, you know, I enjoy uh, talking to people. I enjoy doing these interviews and helping people understand about adolescent substance abuse, but pretty much uh, the, the simple things I get the most joy out of. Brilliant. Thank you so much. And then the next one, sometimes it's similar, sometimes it's not, which is always interesting. What makes life meaningful for you? 
what makes life meaningful me is, yeah, a lot of those same things I just went through is, you know, what I get joy out of also brings meaning. I think they go together. I think they're connected. The things that we enjoy, they give us happiness, they give us pleasure, I think also are the same things that make life meaningful and, and fulfilling for us. So many of those things are the same and, and actually they're, they're, they're connected. I mean, yeah, I completely agree with you. I, I see them as connected, but it's interesting that that some people do, some people don't, some people answer them in kind of opposite ways. It's okay. interesting to me. Um, that is. Yes. Yeah. So my next two questions are around our overarching topic on the podcast, which is mental wellness. Yeah. And so the first one is what does mental wellness mean to you? I think mental wellness means um, a balance a balance in life, not going to one extreme or the other, but, but, but having a balance in terms of physical health, uh, mental health, emotional health, uh, psychological health, um, you know, and just keeping everything in perspective, not going to one extreme or the other, but keeping a balance in life, whether it's mental health, physical health, nutrition, spirituality, keeping things in a balance. Because once they get out of balance, one way or the other, one extreme or the other, then I think we just don't feel connected. We just don't feel well. So I think a lot of it is, is, is back to being in balance. Brilliant. Thank you. And then my follow up is always what you do for yourself to look after your mental well-being. So how you stay in balance for yourself. I think the primary one for me is exercise. Uh, you know, I, I, I go to the gym on a regular basis. It's allowed me to uh, feel better emotionally and physically. So a lot of my taking care of myself is, is, is physical. It's exercise. It's going to the gym. It's working out on a, on a somewhat regular basis. Another part of it is spirituality, you know, having that connection. Um, so I think physically, and spiritually, um, doing those things helps me feel grounded and feels helps me feel better. Brilliant. Thank you so much for sharing that. So the, the next question is sometimes um, a little bit of a challenge for people. So we'll see. How would you describe your own mindset? My own mindset, I think, is balanced. Um, it does get out of whack every once in a while. It does flip over to an ex extreme. Uh, and I find that sometimes my emotions can get out of hand. Uh, but I think that's, that's, that's normal. I think we all experience that. But I would say that my mindset generally, I would describe as being balanced. Not one extreme or the other, but sort of balanced. Perfect. Thank you so much. Uh, so my next question is my favorite one to ask. Um, so I ask everyone that comes on to leave us with between one and three top tips of things that you would recommend that we try in our life that could have a big impact. So they could be about, you know, mental health or substance use, or they could just be general kind of life tips that you have for us. But do you have yeah. a one to three thing? Three thing? I think, first of all, do whatever you can to take care of yourself physically, uh, whether it's, um, you know, some people will enjoy yoga, some people will like exercising like me. Um, but do what you can to take care of your physical health, because that's so important. 
Then the second one is take care of your uh, mental health too. And that can involve a lot of different activities. It can allow, it can, it can involve exercises. It might involve reading. It might be challenging yourself to explore new, new hobbies or new interests. So take care of yourself mentally as well as physically. And then third, I would say socially, uh, do what you can to uh, reach out to other people, uh, whether it's through volunteering or helping people or helping people in your family. Because I think that when we, when we reach out and we, when we are helping others, I think that helps us feel good and helps our emotional and our physical well-being as well. Brilliant. Thank you so much for those uh, great tips. Uh, so the next question, and I know you've mentioned your book and in a moment we'll share the details uh, with people, but I'm asking people when they come on if they have a recommendation of a book or a TED talk that has been really impactful in your life that you'd like to share with us. You know, um, I suppose I would say the Bible one, you know, I, I've read through through the Bible. That's that's been very meaningful and important to me. Uh, I'm a big fan of uh, fiction writing, uh, so I've got a whole bunch of authors that that I read about. I, mostly, I focus on um, psychological uh, fiction, you know, uh, the drama to it. Uh, uh, that's pretty much what I've been reading for oh gosh, for at least a year, if not more. Uh, and and you know, there's there's I don't I can't even remember all the different authors, but I tend to focus on psychological uh, fiction, um, and and I read I read that uh, quite a lot. Brilliant. Thank you so much. And then that brings me to my final question, which is where people can connect with you. And obviously, we've mentioned your book, if you can remind us of the, the title and where we can find it. Yeah, the book's title is The Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse. It's available on Amazon. Uh, <clears throat> and there's a workbook that, that goes along with it. You can either go directly to Amazon and type in Help the Addicted Child, um, or The Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse. Or you can go to the book's website, which is www.helptheaddictedchild.com, helptheaddictedchild.com. And on the website, you can read endorsements, you can read reviews, you can see it's a sample chapter of the book. You can learn a little bit about the workbook. There'll be a link that will take you directly to Amazon where you can order the book. The book's available as a Kindle. Um, and it's available in paperback for whichever way you prefer to read it. And uh, there's also a link where you can send me a message or ask me a question and they'll come directly to me. So I would encourage people to go to helptheaddictedchild.com and there they can read about the book, they can order the book and they can send me a message. Brilliant. And we'll absolutely link in the show notes so people can can find all of that there and contact you if they like. Great. To. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Richard, for, for joining us and for sharing with us today. I think uh, some really, really great insights and advice for any parents listening uh, or anyone who has any children, young people in their life. So thanks yeah. very much. Thank you, Hannah. I really appreciate you taking the time to allow me to talk about this and for your participation in the discussion as well. So thank you. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. So thank you to Richard for joining us and for everything he shared. Um, and we talked about COVID and the sort of impact of the pandemic. And obviously, as I'm recording this on the 18th, it's all sort of, you know, a bit up in the air. But I think that mental health impact is still ongoing and, you know, probably will continue to do so and, you know, to have an impact 
Um, so I really think it is important to recognise those warning signs maybe in the people around us who maybe find it difficult to reach out and to ask for support because that's something that is inherently difficult to do. I think it's also really important to recognise the, the signs in ourself of us being overwhelmed or stressed or approaching reaching burnout. Um, I was trying to say reaching and approaching at the same time. I don't really know what came out there. Approaching burnout um, to, to look after ourselves as well and to maybe, you know, ask for support or, or see what we can do to look after ourselves as well because I think it's, um, yeah, it's been a difficult time, <laughs> um, understatement. Um, but yeah, there has been a big mental health impact. So just a reminder to look out for your loved ones, look out for yourself. Um, and I really hope you have support around you who are looking out for you as well. And I think one of the things that hopefully came across that sort of um, that emphasis on the importance of listening, um, of being there, of that communication, of you know just trying to understand what's going on for other people, I think is so important. Whether you're a parent supporting your children, whether you're supporting a partner, whether you're trying to support your friends or family, whatever, I think that listening, you know, being there and communicating is so important. And it's something I've um, I'm doing a a course at the moment. A bit of CPD um, on supporting children and young people uh, with with bereavement specifically, but you know I think really that that space and and maybe being creative and doing all kind of different things. Uh, there's lots of different ways of trying to support them. So, um, but that listening and communication are, are so key. So I wanted to just really reiterate that again. And then lastly, what I want to do is to offer some places you can go for additional support. If you have been listening to this and it's something that there's really close to home and that you think you need uh, someone extra to talk about for, for more support. Uh, so for drugs, um, talktofrank.com offers uh, honest information about drugs, uh, facts about drugs uh, and that kind of thing. And, um, you know, things about if you're concerned about a friend, a child, that kind of uh, resource um, I would recommend as a kind of first point of um yeah information the nhs website also has information about lots of things for a, a, an alcohol resource there is uh on the nhs website they have some information about alcohol support and if you are worried about your child if you have an 11 to 18 year old uh, you could recommend that they check out cooth i hope i'm saying that right k o t h Dot com, which is an online mental well-being community that offers free, safe and anonymous support. So that's a kind of general support aimed at, at younger people or young minds. Um, I love, I think Young Minds has so much amazing information. And then if anyone is really immediately concerned um, about their child, probably more, um, you know, a, a number for your child to call, but if it is actually having a really negative impact on your mental health, uh, or maybe this conversation, um, you know, has been challenging because, or you've realised that you have concerns about your own substance use or mental health um, or that kind of thing, then I always recommend the Samaritans for anyone who uh, is feeling in crisis um, and wants to talk to someone. And their number is 116123. Um, and so they're available 24-7. So, um, yeah, hopefully some of those... Uh, places are, are useful so for children directly cooth 
or Young Minds. Um, Young Minds generally has lots of information, so check that out. And then talk to Frank uh, for substance use concerns. Um, and then again, yeah, Samaritans. So um, if you have any other recommendations of, of, you know, good places for support for substance use, um, if, you know, people want information, uh, please let me know. But yeah, I mentioned the NHS website and also Mind. Mind have um, amazing information generally about mental health and um, substance use um, as well. And generally also about offering support to people. So check any of those places out. Um, and on the Mind website... They have a section for friends and family members who want to help. So they're my, my sort of go-tos at any point. Um, NHS, Mind, Samaritans, Young Minds for Youth stuff. So yeah, check out any of those. Um, and that that's everything. I really hope that you have found this conversation helpful. Um, I hope that you have taken something from it. And it really would mean a lot if you enjoy the show if you would rate and review wherever you listen to your podcasts and if you would consider sharing it with a friend or loved one who you think could also enjoy the conversations that we have here. That's everything. I will be back, yeah, in the new year. Whoa. Um, so <laughs> we, as I say, we're going into our third year, but we're kind of already in our third year because we've hit two years old. But um, we'll be back 2022 um, and I'm really excited about recording a new batch of interviews I've had a lot of people get in touch, um, fill in our form um, and being interested in being guests. So one of the things I'm going to be doing is going through that and sort of inviting people to come on who I think can bring some amazing sort of practical strategies or insights or um, you know, inspirational messages or motivational messages or all kinds of um, thought provoking content um, an enjoyable content as well hopefully for you so I'm excited to get stuck into that in the new year after I've had some downtime and a bit of a break um, because that's definitely needed but I hope that yeah you're doing well I hope that you're feeling okay about 2022 okay is uh, where I like to sort of come back to and so yeah so I will be back in 2022 with our next episode until then as always take care of yourself be kind to yourself and I'll speak to you soon. Bye for now.